Returner Nation, thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you are out there enjoying some runs, just having a good time. On this episode, number 17, we sit down with Canal Corridor 100 race directors Emily Collins and Hugh Patton. These two have been blazing the trail by establishing guidelines that allow this race to move forward in the COVID-19 era. This fourth year race is scheduled to take place on July 11th. Hear all about the race and the preparation it took to get to this point, and we hope you enjoy this episode. What is Crackalack and Ridge Hunter Nation? We are back for our 17th Ridge Hunters live show. And we're super excited to have tonight's guests on the show. These two are the race directors for the Canal Corridor 100, which is set to go off next weekend, July 11th. They've put together a plan that allows the race to happen in accordance with all of the guidelines involving the social distancing in the COVID-19 era. Without further ado, Emily Collins, Hugh Patton, how are you guys? Doing well. <laughs> so we're obviously, tired. We're a little tired, <laughs> but we're we're making it. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Obviously, uh, the race is about ten days out or so uh, at this point. Um, uh, normally, we start off with uh, what are you guys drinking tonight, but uh, you guys actually are going to be having the race finish at a beer garden, I believe. So, uh, where's the race finishing at? Yeah, it's so the start and finish, um, not to discourage anyone from actually starting, but the start and finish is at Missing Falls Brewery in downtown Akron. Um, they've been quite the generous host. It's so cool that we have establishments like that along our uh, towpath, uh, which is where the race is held. So it's kind of a perfect spot for us to, to um, hold the event this year. Definitely. Uh, before we dive too deep into our conversation with these two, uh, we want to remind everyone, whether it's your first time watching or if you've been here since the beginning, make sure to, to subscribe to our YouTube channel. But more importantly, introduce yourself in the chat. We want to know what you guys are drinking as well and start throwing out any and all questions that you may have for Emily and Hugh. Uh, you guys are the new race directors for the Canal Corridor 100 this year. Um, obviously, I bet that's a big challenge. Obviously, this year, uh, you guys probably didn't know that you guys were going to take on when you took that position. Uh, talk about how that came about becoming the new race directors for this race. Yeah, Hugh, you got to start. <laughs> yeah, I'll start with that one. So um, I was actually at a board meeting uh, last fall where we were trying to figure out what was going to happen with this race because uh, Bill sort of founded the race, Bill Wagner, who's just a, a local legend, anyone from Northeast Ohio, if they don't know Wild Bill and his bullhorn, they've never run an ultra. And um, Roy Hager has probably a hundred, hundred mile finishes to his name. He's been around forever. I may be exaggerating, but um, we were at a board meeting and uh, we were deciding who to give the race away to or to, to just let it go. And I accidentally rose my hand and said, I'd take it. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I did that, they were like, oh, you're, you know, how are you ever going to manage it by yourself? It took both of us. I said, I promise I'll, I'll find a, a co-race director within 24 to 48 hours. And uh, Emily uh, was, um, <laughs> she, she joined me for tacos and a lot of good decisions happen over tacos. By, by morning, uh, we were co-race directors. I'll let her tell the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah, well... It's right. I didn't realize that I was being asked to race direct. Um, I had just said uh, at some point, Hugh, I heard that this is happening. And, you know, if you need any help at all, 
I love this race. It was my first hundred, um, what, three, four years ago, I guess, four years ago. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a special, special race uh, to me. So I just let him know that I was willing to help um, in whatever capacity. And uh, they, he and Roy invited me to have tacos and um, asked me to do more than I thought. <laughs> so um, I went directly from tacos to Missing Falls Brewery. And I, I don't know that I did that thinking, okay, I got to you know seal the deal on this being the start-finish location. It was more like I needed a beer. So, um, I guess two good decisions happened that day. <laughs> um, they were all into it. So they, they thought it was a great idea to host a hundred mile race, um, at a brewery. <laughs> so, so that's how it all started. I bet all the runners are going to be super thankful when they finish uh, that that's the uh, location for the start and finish line. In, We've uh, had good a, feedback yeah. in about a week now. Um, obviously you said it, that's when it kind of all started, but take us back to the original idea for the race. Obviously you guys were maybe uh, a part of that decision, but talk about the history of the canal mm -hmm. quarter 100 and what made you guys uh, inspired to kind of take that over. Can I talk about that here? Yeah. So, um, Gosh, the, the idea of, of running a, a, a point to point 100 mile on the, the Ohio and Erie Canal towpath has been whispered throughout like the Ohio Valley and Northeast Ohio running community for years. Um, but every time it was brought up, a lot of people that were doing races, because I've been in race management and events for about 10 years now, were like, no, nobody wants to run. That's too flat. It's it's not, it's not mountainous, the terrain, it'll be boring. Nobody really wanted to pull the trigger on it. It logistically races like burning river that were point to point were very hard to manage. Um, so in 2016 or so, I think, I think Bill and Roy were finally at a point where they were ready to give it a shot. Um, because the towpath was starting to become more of a, a possibility of becoming a point to point. And, um, once we had a course figured out that that would start and finish in Akron, um, which was what our original concept was, it made more sense to give it a try. And, and Bill and Roy pulled that off, and I believe Emily raced it her our, in, our, in our inaugural year. But I'll turn it over to her at that point because she knows more about the the history of the area. Um, mm. Yeah. So, I mean, what's so fascinating to me about Canal Corridor, other than this idea that we actually have a towpath at all, you know, the, the canal is built as a form of transportation of goods, um, I, I, largely to, to serve New York, which is pretty fascinating. And of course, it was uh, um, deemed, you know, unnecessary once the railroads went in, um, so largely fell out of use. But, you know, the towpath is literally where donkeys would pull the, the um, uh, boats, you know, down, down the canal. So it has a lot of historic significance and happens to be similar in many ways to the path that Native Americans took from uh, two different watersheds, the Cuyahoga River Valley um, to the Tuscross River Valley. And there's a lot of significance to, you know, historic significance to that route. Um, so it's a really special place uh, historically, but also today. 
I mean, runners are going to go through places that are completely diverse, um, rural, urban, um, you know, places that uh, historically were boom towns and now are not. Um, you know, there, there are neighborhoods like the Summit Lake neighborhood is one of the coolest places, I think, in Akron. Um, so much potential and such great uh, uh, community members who are thinking about natural resources as a method for, you know, uh, community wealth. So there's a lot of cool stuff to see and runners will get to see a lot of it along their way. Um, so I won't go too, I'm sorry, I won't go too deep into the environmental stuff, but that's my background and I'm kind of proud of, of having a race that explores all of that. So, yeah, that's awesome. So when you start like, you know, joining as a race director for this race, you know, you're like, Oh, it's going to be a lot of work. There's going to be a lot of things expected into <laughs> it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get to the beginning of the year and like, wham. So when all that stuff started happening, when did you guys immediately, or did you immediately just go straight to what's going to happen with the race? Or, or was that like immediately like back in February or were you like, kind of like, eh, see what happens. But like, I'm sure that was like on your mind and, and just constantly, you know, always back there waiting for you guys to have to make a decision. You know, I remember, he, I'm not sure if you remember this too, but we were just setting up dates for group runs, you know, to show sections of the course. And we literally were getting ready to post about it. Sorry. Um, and I think we posted, you know what? We're going to hold off on that group run. <laughs> and as soon as it's safe to hold those, we'll get back to you. So we did kind of pause and see what was going on. Um, but then there was also a point when we were like, you know what? I think we can hold this safely. Uh, let's see what we can come up with. So I can't remember exactly when that was. You think that's right, Hugh? I, yeah. Um, and I don't want to um, drag, uh, you know, personal life into uh, race directing, but I, I think both of us uh, come from fields uh, of work professionally that we started to put our our professional hat on and stop thinking about it as a race for a minute. I know I work in um, design build um, in the architecture world and we are often told, no, this isn't safe and review the code. And I, I started looking at it from, from that standpoint and that aspect and started asking health professionals and um, people that were more educated on me, hey, what do we do? How do we do this? And Emily, with a background in environmental law, I think started looking at it the same way. How can we ethically do this? How can we start to think about the safety of our, our runners and our volunteers and our participants? And I think that once we had enough uh, side conversations offline, we started telling people, hey, we have a plan. Um, we're going to continue to move forward with our date. And if you're uncomfortable, raise your hand and, and we can have a discussion about it or let us know so we can, we can get a refund or, um, you know, fi find another date that works for everybody. And I think it just continued to develop into something that um, you know, we were told no along the way by everybody. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy task, um, but we weren't told no, uh, this is a bad idea. We were told no, Let's develop better ideas. And I think we continue to work with the right people and get things done. Um, and Ohio has been tremendously supportive. And I think that uh, along the way, I don't want to jump into further questions, but I think we made some some fans of, of ultra running. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a runner, obviously you're watching this. I think if you're a race director of other races, you should probably be watching this as well because you guys are kind of setting the blazing the trail per se of all the new guidelines and stuff that you're implementing at your races. Um, kind of talk about that. What are runners going to expect uh, at this year's event um, in guidelines with social distancing? I know this. I know it's kind of a big question, but uh, just talk us through some of the stuff that you guys did plan out and are going to execute next weekend. You should talk about what you just did this morning, Hugh. <laughs> that was the first step. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my day was spent at a small town U.S. post office where I walked in with uh, <laughs> a literal truckload of runner packet pickup. Um, and each uh, thing was priority marked and, and mailed and, and posted uh, and mailed out to everybody. And um the, the addresses that were in question, we took the time to, to call and check in on people and um, the stuff that we weren't sure would make it in time. We either overnighted or found a, a different address to get it to them quicker. Um, you know, it was uh, not something that you normally have to do as a race director in the past. Um, just organizing t-shirt sizes and, and laying out our, our central location for people to come get their bibs has been a challenge and, and is a lot of work. So to have to prepackage that, make labels, uh, mail everything, uh, added a, a, another level of organization to that. And, um, it wasn't just this morning. We've been actually putting packets together and mailing at Emily's office for the past 30 hours. <laughs> Truly a <laughs> race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the first thing is no packet pickup. And that allows for people to feel safe, right? Um, they have their stuff uh, before the, ra the race starts. They don't need to worry about getting it. Um, and when they get to the race start, so the we're kind of lucky because parking is pretty much immediately at the start line. Um, so we're asking people to essentially use their cars as their home base until it's time for them to line up for uh, their start wave. And we're doing three people every one minute. Um, and the way we've organized the uh, starting positions has to do with predicted finish time. So we didn't trust ultra signups prediction. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, instead, we used, uh, we used um, uh, people's own predicted start times. And we're going with the fastest predicted start times first uh, to the slowest so that any kind of stretching out of the field is, you know, really going to stretch out. So the passing should be kept to a minimum. And in addition to that, uh, on the course, um, we have rules like no slipstream running, which I know is combining cycling terms and running terms, but <laughs> seem to make some sense here. Um, and passing with the full width of the towpath, which is already pretty wide. Um, you know, we are allowing pacers, um, uh, of course, after mile 50, but, you know, people have essentially, um, agreed, you know, that their pacer is going to be a safe person to have with them. So that kind of distancing shouldn't necessarily be a problem. Um, Boy, there are lots of things. At aid stations, you know, we're stacking up tables so that runners can't even, you know, reach uh, close enough to get to volunteers. So we literally have a physical barrier um, between runners and volunteers that's just two table widths deep. Um, 
crews have to maintain distancing and wear masks uh, if they're in the proximity of, a, of our volunteers. Um, you know, a lot of people like to sleep sometimes at, at aid stations. And we've told them, look, uh, you can do that if you're at least six feet away from our volunteers. Um, but basically, you're going to do that on the grass. Um, we're wiping down tables, wiping down chairs, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, what else, you? There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, just from from years of, of putting races on, it's it's hard enough to keep these aid stations clean and, and organized and, and run smoothly. Um, so adding this this other level to um, to the race this year has been it's really been about finding um, the right people to do this. And we've had some amazing uh, people step up to assist me and Emily, our 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 other half of the team, which isn't on the interview tonight, they are amazing. Um, both of the Duncans have been instrumental in, in keeping this organized and, and safe and alive. Um, and, you know, other race directors and event management um, groups are aid station captains, people that direct, you know, big city marathons. So we're, we're turning this over into the hands of uh, some people that we really trust. And we're excited to see um, how this thing really goes off. Yeah, Jason K in the chat asked, uh, you guys are sending masks, I think, too, right, to all the runners? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and we are encouraging them to carry the mask with them, um, but we're not requiring that they wear it. Uh, and even Badwater had a rule where runners were required to, which was canceled, but um, run runners were required to carry a mask with them and then use it if they had to enter a store or something to that effect. So we haven't required that people use it, but we certainly, if you're going to be within, you know, six feet of some, someone who's a volunteer, uh, you really should. So, <laughs> um, and our volunteers are prepared to, you know, kind of enforce that. So um, it's important to both you and I that, you know, everyone feels safe and it's so easy when you're running, especially just to forget, right. That you, especially when you're a little bit delirious, um, that you can't approach that closely. So, um, you know, we're, we're very much prepared to make sure that, uh, runners are kind of reminded of that. So we'll be marking spaces at aid stations that are safe distance, you know, things like that. Um, and we have no, no qualms letting people know that they have to be there. <laughs> so, that's, I mean, our permit requires it. So every single permit we got, it's contingent on us following this plan. Um, so, uh, you know, if somebody wants to violate it, then it's pretty easy for us to say, look, we have to disqualify you because it, our ability to hold the event depends on us following this. Um, so. That's just the way it is. And, you know, we're going to be try, going to try to be fun about it. So we, we may have, um, you know, squirt guns and things like that just to remind people that they're a little close. <laughs> but, yeah, um, that, that's the way we're, we're thinking about it. With the projected weather next week, uh, people may actually like that if you yeah. uh, spray a little water on them. I know. Uh, they might get week. closer, which would be <laughs> the wrong thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
there's a lot of rules, obviously, with this race, which is obviously important. Um, how do you expect to enforce all the rules like uh, slipstream running, passing, the aid station? Obviously, you mentioned like water guns and whatnot, but mm-hmm. I guess how do you expect to enforce those tough decisions that maybe have to be made at certain aid stations? Yeah. So course marshals are going to be on a course um, and on bikes. So they should be able to remind runners. And I'm thinking that this might be not just a problem at the front of the field, but also middle and back of the field. Um, we're used to running together, right? It's, it's a habit. So we're going to give some, some reminders. There's no question about it. Um, but, you know, I think we can do that in a kind way and a way that makes sure that people are aware that it's important. Um, it's an important for not just our ability to hold this event, but future races ability to go on. So we're intending to set an example. And that means that we're going to tell people, you know, if you're harming our ability to do this in the future, then I'm sorry, you just can't be part of this race. So, um, you know, I, I think most people with a gentle reminder are going to be absolutely compliant. Um, at least that's been my experience in talking to other runners, uh, even out on the towpath, you know, today. Um, yeah. What do you think, Hugh? How yeah, do you think I, compliance is going to go? <laughs> I, I think it should be fairly straightforward. We've, we, I've at least fielded a few questions um, from participants and just people that I've seen out in the community that, that are running together. And if, if I were to go for a run um, with my daughter, it's not like we haven't been in contact with each other and are comfortable running next to each other. Um, but we're not locking arms and, and crossing the finish line together and, and hugging whether we live in the same house or not. And I think the encouragement that we're, that we're telling people is that's what's different about this year's race is the no contact thing is what's most important. We're not telling people that you can't run next to one another or you're going to be disqualified, but, but be smart about it and understand that um, if too many people become running together at any certain point, that becomes a, a violation of Ohio's health and safety codes. And the same thing goes with, with masks. If, if the order changes between now and July 11th and the state requires um, that a mask be worn in a gathering of more than three people, then we're going to tell runners, hey, if we have an aid station captain that tells us that you're at an aid station and you didn't pull your mask up, we're going to have to pull your bib. It's the same thing um, with, I've done a few uh, of the Ironman type events. And if they call your number from the side of the road, you know, for more than one or two fouls by the, by the third time, they just tell you, Hey, 629, you're out. Like you can keep riding, but you're not getting a finish time. So I think we just need to, um, to be, you know, generous with, uh, with people's desire to, to, to do something socially together but just remind them that um, the the health and safety of both the event and and everyone around us and the community is what's most important to us. Yeah, I think that's great. And I also like, um, I really like Emily's point talking about future races, because I think what's extremely important is like, there's going to be a lot of eyes on this race and there's going to be a lot of people watching it, you know, unfold over the next few weeks to see, you know, if there are, there is any infections, you know, correlated with this race. And it's going to affect how we run in the future, you know, you know, throughout the rest of this year and what races can be held and not be held. So I 
you know, hopefully people, and I think ultra runners especially would definitely be the ones to follow, you know, those kind of guidelines because they want to run, you know, and this is the first time they're going to get out there right now to get into competitive running aspect. And they're going to, I think just um, let loose and just be happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. So, um, we're, I wouldn't say painfully aware. I think we're kind of excited at the opportunity, you know, to, um, be, be the first. Um, but, that also puts a lot of pressure on us and we're aware that we need to do this, not just for, you know, our race, but honestly, you know, a lot of people are suffering um, mental health wise and <laughs> ultra running is known for being a place where you can handle those things through running and through community. Um, so we want to maintain that sense of community. <laughs> You know, we want to maintain people's ability to kind of be out there in the field, see other people. Um, you know, there's something about suffering together that is really a good thing. <laughs> and uh, we want to provide that, but also keep people healthy. So definitely. There's a lot of runners in the chat tonight tuning in, trying to, I guess, make sense of all of it and uh, are super excited for the race next weekend. Uh, what is the most difficult adjustment that you think runners will have to make uh, at this race? What do you think here? You want me to take that first? Yeah, you go ahead and take that one first. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. So runners have been really upset about the no drop bag rule. Um, and uh, you know, maybe I am a total jerk, but I kind of feel like, you know what, this is going to be good for all of you, uh, to not have drop bags. You're going to go faster. You're going to finish faster. I bet you all go sub 24 because <laughs> you didn't have to mess around with your drop bag. Um, but you know, I also could be a total jerk that's possible. <laughs> uh, but that's the thing that we keep hearing about. People really don't like the no, no drop bag rule. And we are allowing people to, uh, because the parking lot is so close, um, to access their cars at mile, uh, 70, um, when they get back to missing falls brewery. But honestly, I don't think you guys need it. <laughs> Just go fast. Keep running. I mean, I guess I kind of agree in a sense because like, I mean, even at the aid stations, like there might not be like a lot of extra time spent around, like just kind of hanging out like you may, may with a, a traditional race. So, uh, finishing times could be faster all across the board. I know like uh, it's tough. It's sometimes at aid stations, you want to take 30, 40 minutes and late in a race. And, um, if you're out of there in five, six minutes, that could totally, totally change your finishing time. So I think that's a positive for a lot of runners. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the access to, to what you would get out of a drop bag um, is available on the course. When you get down to Canal Fulton, um, there's a running store bike shop uh, with a, a stone's throw of the, the towpath. If, if your drop bag was going to save you because you had a pair of socks in it, we can get you a pair of socks. And I know that the, uh, the owner of that bike shop would even be able to float somebody a pair of socks and make it pay later. Those are the type of people that are, that are helping us make yeah. this happen. Um, same with Second Soul, which is on the, the north end of the course. I mean, we're going to have the ability to get people through this race without drop bags. And having the, the turnaround at the, the brewery there at mile 70 and being able to give them access to their cars, I, I don't think that the drop bag thing is going to be an issue. Um, I understand that people are used to it. 
but we were used to a lot of things before 2020 and right. everybody's made adjustments and um you know i think the we we touched on it a little bit but um you know the, the mental health and the community aspect part of this is is very important and it's something that came up when we were talking about our permits and speaking with the health department um it was important that they understood um you know how valuable this community is to each other and i think uh if you remove the the drop bag from the sport but you still have the community people are going to get each other through this whether they need supplies or not it's the camaraderie that's got me through races more often than a granola bar yeah no, i mean i agree i think it's going to be super exciting to see all of these new uh implementations at uh, the race um obviously uh, if anyone's in the chat and you have any questions at all uh, make sure to drop those in there um, one question that did pop up. Let me uh, see if I can find it again. Kyle, from right? Yeah, he yeah. said super pumper, super pumped for next weekend. Um, and they, he wanted to know if you were able to pull off a miracle and being able to provide hot food during the later parts of the race. Good question. Yes, um, I don't know if it's a miracle, but it's uh, Missing Falls Breweries. Come, you know, they've come through. So the hot food we're going to have, um, is basically pizza and, um, that's being prepared, not by us, obviously it's being prepared by missing falls and we'll distribute it. Um, we're thinking after 6 PM is the right time to start distributing pizzas to aid stations. Um, and we're also going to have ramen and coffee. So those are the hot things. <laughs> Sounds like all you need. Yep. I think so. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, people. So a bunch of people asked about cut fruit as well. And it, you know, it is standard ultra fair. There's no question about it. And there may be some aid stations uh, that bring it of their own accord, but we're not doing, we're not distributing cut, cut fruit. Um, nor are we, you know, requiring our volunteers to cut fruit, you know, uh, that just seems like uh, too risky. Um, at least for the initial race going off. And that's how we approached our plan. It's like, what can we put in here that will be the most safe uh, that we could possibly do? And some of it in truth may be overkill, um, but that wasn't really the concern. The concern, you know, we wanted to go as far as we could. Uh, there was a point when uh, Tanya, the um, environmental health director at Summit County Public Health who signed our, our letter <laughs> saying that we're approved. She said, it, you know, I really have no feedback for you on this plan. Um, it looks like you had a doctor write it. That's what she said to us. And of course, you know, amongst ourselves, we we're like, yeah, Juris doctorate. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but no, it, and uh, Jen Duncan, who is also on our team is, um, she has her PhD in psychology. So <laughs> there were two doctors who kind of worked on it, but not really. Um, but that was the goal. We wanted to go as far as we could and still have a race. Um, so we're, we're proud of it. Honestly, we're proud of uh, how far we went with it. And if it turns out that some of this stuff is overkill, you know, great. That's, that's fine. Definitely. I mean, uh, Sydney C hopped in the chat and asked, how tough will the competition be this year? And kind of going off that question is like, do you expect records records to be broken in the heat this year? Um, the field 
I'm just going to give a quick prelude to it, is absolutely loaded. You've got top male and female runners from all over the country uh, in this race. So how do you think uh, that'll play out uh, with the heat and all the fierce competition? Go for it, Hugh. Okay. So um, I was I was talking to a few people. My I If I still had to buy uh, text messages by like the bundle, I would have had to increase my my text messaging plan this month. Like everybody's been asking us questions nonstop and me and Emily have been talking nonstop about these late additions and, and people that are entering the field. I think that, uh, that Pete K's course record very well could fall this year. And, and Pete has the course record at Badwater. His course record is a tough one to break. It's I think 1403. And I, I very likely could see that fall this year. Um, we have some unknowns. We have some, uh, some 220, 225 marathoners uh, in the field this year that are taking their first uh, stab at a hundred miler. Um, so who knows what they could do? Um, they're, they're, they have foot speed unlike anyone else in the field. And um, does that translate to, uh, to Zach Bitter 100 mile speed? We have no idea, um, but we're excited to find out. And uh, our, uh, our women's field, I'll let Emily talk more about, but um the guys in the men's field have either won races um, or they have realistic goals of, of smashing the course record um, and setting personal records this week. So we're excited to see how that all plays out. Um, and I won't even pick a favorite because I have 10, 10 or 15 of them. It's just too hard to, to call right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to call the women's race either. Um, but we are super excited. Uh, there are some folks who are going to push, you know, their own limits, I think, um, even in the heat. And I think everyone who has been thinking about this race, um, you know, at all has been thinking about how to train in the heat and get ready. So I'm kind of excited to see how, how people handle it. Um, but I'll say that it's not just, you know, who's gonna, who's gonna destroy, uh, the front of the pack. It's also, man, we have some great age group folks out there and I'm so glad that we went the extra mile and, and went to certify the course, uh, certify and sanction the course. So I, I think we're one of, what, what is it, you 500 milers in the nation that are certified and sanctioned? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a big deal. And hey, here we are, Northeast Ohio, making some, making some uh, moves, you know? Um, so I, the women's field is stacked from, you know, top to bottom um, in addition to the men's field. And I think we're going to see some really great age group performances in addition to, you know, just who's going to win. <laughs> so uh, if, if the guys are smart, I think they're going to go sub 13, even with the heat. That's what I think. So fast. <laughs> That's a prediction. That is absolutely uh, That's crazy. the only prediction I'll give you. <laughs> Uh, Regenerate Nation, uh, we're going to make a predictions video for this race uh, in the next day or so and get that out early next week. Um, 
we'll do the top five men and women uh, for the field. I've been trying to do my homework and trying to make a prediction video. And honestly, it's really tough. The field's just absolutely loaded. And I don't want to pick some of these people because there's a lot of people that are going to be left out of the top five. And obviously, races happen and it's going to be just crazy to kind of see it all transpire. But I definitely think uh, the course records are totally going to fall this year, even with the heat. I think it's just guaranteed with the talent in this year's field. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So going back to the comments, we have uh, the Duncans are very happy about their shout out. Um, there's, some, there's quite a few. Uh, <laughs> they deserve it. They're amazing. Um, and then let's see here. What else we have? Um, what's that question? Uh, James Lupton says, uh, what can you say about crew for runners? Where can you receive crew assistance and where not? Great question. Um, so the aid stations uh, and within a reasonable proximity, which is typically defined as 100 meters, right, Hugh? Yeah. Of, yeah, of the aid station is where your crew can give you aid. Um, and there, I've gotten a couple of questions from runners about whether that means their crew can only use aid from the aid station. And, and that is definitely not true. Please bring your own, you know, best nutrition and hydration and what you need, including, you know, chop, chopped up fruit or whatever. Um, your crew can give you whatever you want, um, including those things that you really wanted in your drop bag. So, <laughs> or, or hot food. Or hot food. Yeah. There, uh, so one of the cool things about Canal Corridor is we have commerce, you know, and especially kind of local, uh, small local businesses all along the course. So you can get really great food and, um, you know, really great uh, running products in various places along the course. Yeah. So uh, if, if you, you're, you tell your crew that you need something, you know, at mile 40 uh, so that you have it mile 60, they can probably get it for you. <laughs> so. there's, there's no shortage of commerce along the towpath uh, yeah. and pretty much everything's available, including, uh, you know, there's a there's a guy in our field that's done Mohican at least 25 times, and um, every morning when the sun rises at Mohican, uh, his wife would have to run down to McDonald's to get him a sausage, egg, and cheese McMuffin. It's just a story that goes back with my family that's known their family for a long time, and uh, that you'll be able to get hot food off the towpath very easily, whether it's junk food, fast food, hot food, uh, running supplies, it's all there. Yeah, no, it's going to be awesome. Uh, obviously, so much is going to happen next weekend uh, with these runners. Uh, what is, um, I guess, one question that I have is, what should runners expect from the new race tractors? Obviously, you guys are kind of taking over this race, and um, there may be some changes. You ran the race in the past. Obviously, uh, the course might be a little different, but uh, what's one thing that people should expect from you guys uh, from this event moving forward? Go, go ahead. Do you want me to go? I can, I can tell, um, you know, that, that people, uh, in at least our Northeast Ohio running community, um, they, they know what to expect, uh, for, for any race that I'm at. Cause I've done timing and, and organization and event management for, for the past decade. Um, the unknown is, is Emily and <laughs> literally she has, has surprised me. And it's the Duncans too, and I'll give them a second shout out because before I can even ask if things are done, I'm already getting an email that the task was completed. It's just, <laughs> the, the team's been phenomenal, so I don't 
I don't think people can expect anything but uh, but really good things from from what we're building here. And we are. I mean, we're building we're building the brace into uh, the race into a brand, and that's what we expect people to see after this year is um, a fast, competitive field, um, a team that was able to to get things done that um, were very challenging in 2020, um, and uh, professionalism. I'll let Emily. Uh, add to that, but I think people are going to have, uh, you know, no expectations going in and be surprised at how well organized it is. Yeah, I suppose I'm an unknown to myself, but, um, I don't, I don't really know. Um, you know, I, I think my goal is to make the, I, I, I've talked to Hugh about this. We want this to be an excellent event. And we want it to be an event that not just supports, you know, our race, but supports the entire culture of ultra racing, um, not just in Northeast Ohio, but in Ohio more generally. Um, we, we love the sport. And uh, I, I think what, it, if nothing else, what I really want to do is celebrate with people. You know, they have done so much to get to this point where they're able to tackle 100 miles. It's huge. And I want to be there to help them celebrate and recognize their accomplishment. That's really, I think that's what a race director should do. So we're here to, to celebrate really. <laughs> um, so lots of love. We're going to, my goal, and let's hope that I can accomplish this is just to give runners lots and lots of love. Um, they deserve it. And the only, the only thing that I'll add to that is, um, but we're not in this alone and the old, the old race committee has not stepped away one bit. They were just ready to hand off the torch. Roy and, and Bill and um, Sydney and the people that Tara and everybody that put this together has still been on our calls and, and on our zoom meetings and, and race committee decisions this whole time. And they've been really just helping us and, and guiding us and showing us uh, how they got this, this race off the ground in the first place. So, and at no point did did we become like just the we're I like to think we're just kind of like a, a puppet being controlled by <laughs> a really yeah. really good group of people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This race has really been quite quite awesome. Uh, there's a lot of runners that I've talked to personally that just like have only said great things about this race in the past. I know they're only going to say good things about this race in the future. One name that comes to mind is Tim Atkins. He talks super <laughs> highly of this race and tells me every single year I need to do it. Um, but yeah, He's I mean, this right. race, he, he why is, aren't you, why aren't you registered, Wesley? <laughs> There's just too many fast people for me uh, this what? year <laughs> to, no. to, to, to show up. But um, yeah, it's just, it's just awesome to kind of see that community that this race is built around. Obviously it's between two really big races in Ohio that have been around for a long time with Mohican and uh, burning over to kind of smack dab in the middle there, but kind of the culture that you guys have been able to create uh, in Northeast Ohio has been really special. So I think that's uh, really impressive. Uh, kind of one thing that I want to kind of talk about is obviously you guys are runners yourself. So when you guys were, um, I, obviously Emily, you've run this race before, but how does being a runner help you as a race director? I feel like that's a lot of, a, a lot of people may be runners and obviously not race directors, but I guess like, how does that allow you to be successful in what you're currently doing? You know better than me, Hugh. I'm, I'm a newbie. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this, this question uh, has come up before in, in previous discussions just about 
race directing and best practicing. And um, I think it's uh, I think it's impossible to to truly um, know what to expect when you run a hundred miles until you do it. Um, so both of us have have done that more than once and and know uh, the challenges that are going to come up. And um, I think putting your your runner and participant hat on sometimes and looking over the race plan and saying, Oh, I think we could add this here or that there, or some other options for food or drink, or, um, we don't really need this at the turnaround. We don't really need this, uh, at this aid station. It's early in the race. They're probably not going to need this, that. So a lot of, um, you know, runners experience, uh, goes into those decisions. Um, and being a, a trail runner and, um, having done a few ultras, the one thing that uh, you're going to get when you, when you run an ultra is you, you come a stranger and you leave with 25 new friends mm-hmm. and incorporating, uh, you know, those friendships into uh, planning and decision-making has been, uh, you know, instrumental in me growing as a, as a race director and, and event management. I don't know how many times I've, I've called other race directors, whether they were big city marathon guys or, um, other small trail races or, um, directors of other hundred miles in in other States and saying like, Hey, I don't really need your help with anything. I just want to talk for five minutes because I'm getting anxious. Like, let's just talk about something besides running. Um, and it, it turns into, um, a a conversation real quick about how we can better manage uh, the race and keep people, uh, equipped to, to do this. I remember when um, somebody first told me about a hundred mile race in Loudonville. And I, I honestly did not believe that it could be done. I thought it was a, like an urban legend, like a myth. I was like, nobody runs a hundred miles. And then my little brother had signed up to do it. And he asked me if I'd come like be his crew and, and help him. And I said, no, that's, that, I'm not going to encourage this. You're going to hurt yourself and never be able to run again. I just didn't believe it was possible until I saw it done and saw what goes into the planning and um, the management of, of giving people the ability to do something that really is, even when, when people at, at my office or in education circles, as I went through college, they're like, you, you did what? Who run, nobody can run a hundred miles. It's like, well, you, you can, if you have the right race director that, that gives you the tools and the right crew and the right sport um, support. So Emily can add to that, I'm sure. Well, you know, I was running today. Um, so, I, you know, I was wondering if I could still train the same way that I have been through race directing. And I have been able to so far. Um, but I was, you know, out running today and I thought, you know, this has really made me a better racer. <laughs> Being able to race direct uh, has shown me new sides of, of the race. Um, so I kind of like that, but also, yeah, being, being somebody who's interested in racing at all, um, has definitely helped me think through what to do as a race director, what to prioritize. Um, and, you know, I guess we'll see if that, if, if what I've prioritized is correct, but, um, yeah, I think, I, I think it helps a lot. Um, a lot of people seem to think of moving to race directing as almost a retirement position <laughs> from racing. 
And I don't, you know, that's not my goal. Um, it's more that I just really want to be involved in the community and uh, be a source of uh, kind of togetherness, you know. Um, and I think it's a good way for me to give back. So. Jason K has an awesome question in the chat here. He says, it's the most important question. Uh, will the Canal Corridor 100 finally prove that vert is not real? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> Obviously. Um, I think we will. Uh, you know, we. so I saw Michael Owen say that he wouldn't run this race because it's too flat. Um, at some point, I can't remember. I think Brian Poland had, you know, nudged him to race and he was like, no way that's too flat. Um, but I'll tell you what I, I love, you know, I, I loved burning river as much as I loved canal corridor. Um, so elevation I think is a challenge, but flat racing is also quite the challenge. Um, it mostly because it's runnable. And you don't get variation in your stride. You don't get, you know, the back and forth movement of single track trail. Um, it's, it's tiring in a different way on your legs. So uh, it's just a different challenge. And I think that, you know, um, ultra runners should do all of it, in my opinion. You know, try it out. And Courtney Dowater has done that. Uh, you know, and that's something I respect her for tremendously is that, you know, she's excellent at the 24 hour on the track. She's excellent at, <laughs> you know, UTMB. So uh, if you can do that and, you know, that's, it's increasing your leg speed. So try to do both, but I guess Vert will still be real after all of that. <laughs> so, There's been a, maybe uh, not. <laughs> There's been an uptick in um, 24 hour and um, loop racing in the past 10 years. If you looked at um, a 24 hour race 10 years ago, there was like one out in Arizona and a, a few scattered around the land. And uh, the one in Cleveland, Ohio, North Coast was the 24 hour national championship for many years. And um, the six hour, 12 hour, 24 hour races are popping up all over the country now, as well as flat track racing. So I think to say, um, you know, a race isn't challenging uh, because the elevation profile, um, give it a shot. Because some of the guys that are that are registered to run, at least one of them ran 172 miles, I think, in 24 hours recently. Yeah. So, Yeah, try that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's challenging right there. I don't care how flat it, it is. I don't care if it's downhill the whole way. Moving your body 172 miles... 24 hours is, is tough work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Michael Owens out in Colorado right now, but I mean, come on back to Ohio next weekend. I'm sure we can still get you a bib and whatnot. And you can really test yourself against some of the best ultra runners that are going to be at this race because he, he talks a lot, but, uh, uh, he's got, okay. he's, still, he's, still got, he's still got to show up every once in a while. And I think okay. the runners that will show up next weekend are going to be very special. Um, I know personally from myself is, uh, it is going to be a challenge. Like this race is very runnable, obviously but doesn't make it easy. And I think that's a lot of the misconception with a flat hundred is, I mean, I personally like uh, more Hills. I think it's just easier to kind of have that variance in a race, but it being is. able to yeah. uh, 
go fast, flat, and for the whole thing and not have that variance. I mean, I've talked to a couple of people personally and they say like, if it's struggling and later in the race, I mean, I couldn't imagine like walking 25 miles at the end of a flat towpath, like flatter race. I mean, it just would be Mm -hmm. so demoralizing. I think it's going to be a really tough aspect for a lot of runners to kind of battle out there. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it, uh, plays out. Um, what are you guys look, looking forward to seeing most on race day? Obviously there's a lot, but I guess what is the one thing that you're both looking forward to seeing most happen out there? Oh, that's a hard question. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, well, I want the start to go off really well. Uh, and if that goes off well, then I'm going to, you know, make sure people have supplies and enjoy the race. I think, um, cheer people on a lot. Um, I really want to see people uh, not just go out there and race, but how, you know, I want them to enjoy the the whole process. So, um, and I want people to finish. So we have some plans for making sure people don't drop. You're not, so you're not Laz where <laughs> you're trying to get everyone to drop. No, definitely not. Although I definitely, I, I certainly respect that format and, you know, I'm waiting for my turn. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking forward to uh, race day um, and and Sunday morning. I mean, I'm still in awe when I look at the the participants and who's registered. Like, it, I'm I'm stoked about the competition. That's one of the things I'm most excited about is to see a race like this in Northeast Ohio with uh, with this many um, people across the board and both age groups, um, first time hundred milers. We have a lot of those. Um, and, uh, the expectations at the, at the front of the field for, for watching the fast people come in. I think it's, it's going to be really, uh, a lot of fun and we're hoping that we can stream some of that and, uh, and get that on social media for people to, to, to watch. Cause we know everybody wasn't able to travel this year because of the restrictions. So, um, it's going to be exciting. And I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping on race day, everything goes smoothly, but just watching the competition is, is going to be probably the most fun. Yeah. And there's competition all throughout the field. I mean, I've kind of mentioned like the top, the upper half, but there's, I mean, a lot of runners who I think are going to go sub 24 that are just going to shatter their expectations. There's a lot of people doing first time hundred milers that are going to just absolutely crush it. There's uh, people, all age groups. I saw there's a 21 year old registered and I love yeah. seeing the younger ultra running community uh, kind of step up and take on those tasks. I think they're going to do really well and as well as the older people in the field. So I think it's going to be mm-hmm. super awesome to kind of see that. Uh, Travis Zipfel asked, is is the chip tracking like uh what if the person who finishes first isn't actually in one of the first few waves so i guess like if you're in wave 10 does that time get added back on or i guess cut off your time at the finish you want to answer that Hugh? yeah um because it is it is tricky and uh travis you're, you're starting very very close to uh to the front of the field so um you'll be within a, a minute or two and we'll get everybody in that that front of the field started as, as quickly as possible, but, um, it's going to be live tracking and there will be, um, an app that you can look at. Um, and the aid station people will have some access to, to overall times, but you'll know when you pass a, a timing mat, what your race time is. So it's going to be like a, a, a marathon. Uh, if you've ever run New York or Boston, um, you're not always, 
going to start right at that yellow line where they shoot the gun and say, go, you have a chip time and a, a gun time. And we're going to score the race off of your chip time. So the second that you cross that timing mat at, at 501 or 502 or 515, that's when your race starts. And we understand that that makes uh, running down um, the winter more challenging. And this happened at um, the bike race in Mohican a few weeks ago, um, where somebody that started later, in fact, won the race. Um, but their start waves were five and 10 and 15 minute increments where ours are going to be closer to 60 seconds or less. So we hope to get everybody out on the course um, as quickly as possible and manage to do it safely. Yeah, that was only an 80 mile race. I think they did down there, but we don't want to dive too deep into that. But yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah no, that's great to hear. I mean, I think that's, I think it's actually like a really cool uh, aspect of the race is that um, you may, you have to push harder, obviously at the front of the pack. I mean, not only do you have to win the race, I guess if you're in the first heat, but you also have to win by a couple minutes because every single minute um, is just going to make it that much more important. So yeah, the last marathon of this hundred is, I mean, you're going to have to race it. You're going to have to push. <laughs> so, um, I think it's, you know, kind of cool that you have that incentive to pad your time a little bit. Um, because that, that push isn't always present when you're with a pack, you know? So you'll, you'll PR for sure. <laughs> Definitely. We've got a couple of final questions here before we wrap up. If you guys have any questions in the chat that you want to get answered before we wrap up here, make sure to drop those uh, as well. Um, I guess the plans for the future with this race, um, there's obviously this year is going to go off. It's going to be awesome to kind of see, but in the future of this race, I think it's going to grow into something like even more special in the years to come. Um, I guess what are the plans for that uh, going forward? Well, our dream has always been uh, to have this uh, a true point to point and finish uh, in downtown Cleveland. Um, that was what the race uh, committee founded the idea as. And right now there's a, there's truly about a hundred miles of, of towpath, but it's broken up into construction zones and um, getting all that put together over the next, I'd say the five-year goal is to, to realistically be finishing in downtown with a, with a celebration with the city of Cleveland. Um, but between that point and, and July 11th, I think Emily can fill in the blanks. We have uh, some short-term goals. Hmm. Um, well, so we want this, yeah, I, I suppose I've already said some of this stuff, but we, we want this race to um, go off you know, smoothly and uh, can prove that other races can be held. So that's part of the goal this year. Um, the circumstance with us being a Western States qualifier is something I don't totally understand, but Hugh does. So yeah. I'll, I'll let him speak to that, but that's certainly one of our goals as well is that we'd like to be a States qualifier long-term. Yeah. I talked to their, uh, their board of directors and, and John, who's their uh, sort of head person out at Western States. And um, he assured me that, that we are very, very in the running for, Western state qualifications and we will continue to be, um, they're going to leave it up to the runners to decide what the Western state qualifiers are for 2021 and 2022. And that being said, it's going to be, be based on how many people finish a hundred mile race. It's going to be based on the largest 
hundreds in the country. And uh, right now we are <laughs> like there, there's not any other races <laughs> that have happened between February uh, and, and July. So um, there's not 30 other races that we have to compete with right now. And we hope that 30 races happen between now and the end of the year. Uh, but we have 150 people in the field and we expect a good majority of them to finish. I've looked at the, the names up and down and I've seen them across the board finish hundred milers. So I, I don't think we're going to have a, a, a high attrition rate this year. It'll be hot, but we've given people 30 hours to, to navigate the course. And we think we have all the supplies and materials to get them to the finish line. Jennifer in the chat asked any advice for a first time, uh, hundred mile runner running this event. Yeah. Um, take it easy for the first 75 miles <laughs> and then, you know, think about, um, as the temperatures start to cool, that's when you want to pick, pick things up. At least that's how I try to approach it. Yeah. Don't, don't be afraid to eat. Um, don't be afraid to, yeah, to take care of yourself, take yeah. care of your body, uh, especially the first, 15 to 20 miles. Cause as you go into calorie debt and, and fluid debt, um, it's much harder to make that up at mile 80 than it is to make that up at mile 15. Yeah. Be, be good to yourself. Be kind. <laughs> yeah. Fuel yourself. Yeah. I mean, you're going to need it, especially with the heat. Yeah, definitely. I just take it kind of super easy during the day and then wait till it kind of falls at night and just make your move at that point is what I would personally do. Uh, Absolutely. James Lupton asked, how do you register as a pacer? Yeah. So all the, <laughs> this is the big question. Um, <laughs> so all of the runners are going to get an email. I was hoping for tonight. Uh, I think that still might happen that sends them the pacer waiver now that they have their bib numbers, which is something that just happened in the last, I don't know, 24, 30 hours. Um, so they'll have access to that pacer waiver and we would like for um, pacers to get email me <laughs> the waiver in advance so that our volunteers don't have to be fiddling with, you know, signing people up. You will get your pacer bib at the aid station. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Jennifer says thanks as well. So I think uh, that answers all the questions from the chat. Just a couple of rapid fire questions here before we let you guys go. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, we usually typically ask a couple of questions about like aid station food or whatnot, like that you guys like to have uh, at, like as a runner. But what's one thing that runners are not going to want to leave your aid station uh, without this year at the race? The donuts are going to be really good. Yes. <laughs> donuts. I'm excited about missing Falls Pizza. Uh, we have some other uh, hot food uh, requests that we've we've put in for at the finish line that that might be surprises that people hear about. Um, and uh, I'm I'm excited that we have uh, almost a thousand pounds of ice ordered. Oh yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> the aid station without ice. We have like an ice truck that's going to be on site with a cooler. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be hot. Well, that's awesome, guys. I just want to give a huge thank you to both of you guys for joining us on the live show tonight. Um, for people that want to follow you and the race, more importantly, on social media, uh, where can they find you guys at? 
Canal Corridor Endurance Run, 100 Endurance Run uh, on Facebook. Uh, we also have an Instagram account. Um, our website isn't, it, so it has the runner's manual on it, um, but it's easier to get information more quickly off of our social. Definitely. Uh, as always, we'll put those in the description of the video so everyone can have just thank super you. quick access to those as well. Uh, before we sign off, I just want to say a quick thank you to Ridge Runner Nation for all the support that we've received since starting this channel. Uh, this was my last Ridge Runners live show before I step away uh, temporarily due to a new work opportunity that came my way. Um, don't worry, you're in good hands and we'll have an official announcement on the rundown, which will be released very soon. The channel isn't going anywhere and there will still be some awesome content uh, coming your way. So subscribe to us on YouTube and Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Emily and Hugh, you guys have been absolutely awesome and cannot wait to hear all the stories that come uh, from your runners next weekend. Best of luck to everyone running the race and thank you so much for joining us. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning in to another Ridge Runners live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Rosanna Nation. Oh,